Welcome to Blind Shovel, an arts and music podcast. Today I speak to sculptor Alfred Rosenbluth. Enjoy. Oh, good. Oh, not too much. Just uh, got home from work. Um, Where do you work? Lay down. Um, right now, I'm working for an artist up in Greenpoint, um, and it's training week. Um, they got me working on marble right now. Um, it's been hmm. pretty great. Yeah. So you live in? Yeah. I think you live in Philly. Yeah, that was the thing. I was living in Philly um, since the like 2019 i'm from the area originally i was actually in new york for like eight years but i moved back after like actually just before the pandemic and um only um a couple weeks ago did i find out i was going to be um moving back for this job and yeah um i, I literally moved back here like last sunday <laughs> really yeah so you're from the philadelphia area yeah but you've lived in new york, or you did live in new york for quite some time yeah and so how long were you back in Philadelphia? Um, I was back there from about 2019 to last week. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, I went to I went to school there. I always thought I had a yeah. confusing identity oh. as an art oh, cool. location. That's interesting. Yeah. Um yeah, it's def there's definitely um a very local to the philadelphia art scene like it's and i was able i wasn't really involved with it when i got involved with um actual art making so um i think i took it for granted there was some like i, I would go out into this i would see more like music shows in high school but i wasn't really doing art um in in town but um i have a lot of friends that have been doing it there for a while that's that's interesting uh what wh what's your take on it Hmm. Um, well, it kind of reminds me of New Jersey and that's where I'm from. Oh, wow. where uh -huh. There's like this issue of if you're good enough or hungry enough, you're probably going to leave and go to New York City because it's close enough. And yeah. so it creates a kind of farm league for um, like where the actual careers are built or money is made. And that can often deplete it of people who were fostered there, et cetera. But I mean, I could that, be wrong. Yeah. I went to college there, so. Interesting, I mean, yeah, I mean, New York and Philadelphia are so close. I mean, since um, uh, the end of lockdown, I've been part of this one collective um, gallery called Practice Gallery in Philadelphia. And it's a rotating um, uh, uh, cast of artists who don't who put together shows for it's it's a curatorial project project um mm -hmm. and so there you know there's a rotating uh lineup of artists on uh, that are members there and there's a whole slew that actually went to new york so um 
in the last round and I'd recently joined and I, I guess I've sort of joined their, um, join the ranks the ranks where, of those that have like left yeah where was that again oh this is practice gallery it's practice. um yeah it's um part yeah it's located in this really great uh complex uh, like oh you must know uh, like vox populi yeah yeah it um, sounds like vox populi but isn't vox populi it isn't it's it's one floor down it's in the same gotcha. uh, building yeah um going back to uh, your initial comment about this kind of this contrast between philadelphia and new york um gallery or art scenes i mean philadelphia is much much more community oriented in the sense that you know this is only the fact that it's a much smaller city and um, I never really ma- like make the comparison between like Philadelphia and New York. I feel like the two the two are often compared, and there's really like no base of comparison. Like Philadelphia is very like um, American city in a lot of respects, and New York I, is very international. However, you know, th- as you know, there's a close relationship between the two because it's a very short commute between the two cities. Um, but um, that said, going back to my comment about philadelphia being more of a community i mean there, there's a community there are community aspects to like the new york gallery scene as well or like the new york fine arts scene um they're, they're just it's just more they're just more subgroups i would say and my experience has been which in philadelphia is a pretty much everybody knows everybody which is a really great thing it's almost you go out and like you inevitably run into your friends at any gallery opening and um, I don't know. I kind of miss it having, you know, um, you know, I, there are many reasons for my leaving, but, um, you know, in the past couple of months, you know, after COVID it become a really, um, a really sweet place of belonging for me. Um, and yeah, there is something to that that can't really be replicated, but, um, yeah, in terms of, uh, blue chip, ga- well, I mean, I, I don't even uh, in terms of like the larger art scene um you know there are i, I think philly had in the past has gotten a reputation for maybe not being not having such a great art scene but i i um don't really go along with that. I think there are a couple of very strong galleries that have emerged there, like ones that I mentioned, Fjord Gallery, um, Commonweal, um, Fleischer Ullman. Um, Mm -hmm. And yeah, I I think they they put on like very strong shows of uh, local artists. And um, a lot of artists have also established their careers in New York that have actually moved to Philadelphia. Um, uh, Cost of living there is, you know, much more reasonable as well. Yeah, I mean, I loved Space 1026 in its um, original building. I don't know if you know that one, but that was more what I was interested in, these kind of collective screen printer, dirty people (laughs) uh, worlds. Yeah. And that fit Philadelphia very well. Yeah, definitely. And because that's that's just like what I was interested in in college. And um, it was the only, it's the first city I ever went to, you know, so I feel like you don't. Oh, wow. You yeah. don't judge it. You know, I came out of a suburb of New Jersey and and then I moved to Oakland. So like really not that different and like kind of grimy neighborhoods. But totally. do you. Yeah. Are, are you concerned or are you focused on the career aspect of being a fine artist? Was that a concern in your 20s? I don't know how old you are, but 
Is that a thing that oh. this move to New York is trying to remedy in some ways? Um, well, in my 20s, I was really focused on um, my career as a gallery artist. And um, so my background is actually kind of in, is in Slavic studies. Um, I didn't like go to school for art initially. Um, so what kind uh, of studies? Oh, Slavic studies. Slavic. Um, yeah. So um, I was like a Russian major in college. And then um, I just, I had a discovery that, you know, I wanted to make art. And so I did all I could to go to um, an MFA program, which is what landed me in New York originally. And then, my trajectory was I worked for uh, Jeff Koons for a little bit, and then I um, actually like you. I, I went back to school for uh, to redevelop my skills in Russian and worked as a medical interpreter for a little bit. So there's a kind of like interdisciplinarity to my career trajectory. Um, I, I wound up getting training as um, uh, I uh, as a writer. Um, while I was back at school. So I picked up freelance writing during COVID. I'd been working on covering like art shows and like doing Russian tutoring. So um, now I'm kind of pulling together a lot of these different avenues I've kind of developed um, hmm. over the past couple of years. So I'm coming back to New York with a different set of skill sets and identity. Um, and I think the thing is, is that I went back to kind of take a break like there are a lot of aspects of new york that had just become kind of like overwhelming to me and you know making the contrast between my 20s and 30s i'm 36 now mm -hmm. uh i think that i tried to burn i i essentially burned out um because i was so focused and yeah there, there are multiple reasons why i left new york but um yeah, going home, it was sort of a reset. And now um, I think that I, I really, I mean, I didn't plan, like no one planned for COVID, but um, I actually wound up um, being a caregiver for um, my dad, who's immunocompromised for the entirety of it. And that was, the entire experience was a kind of reset. And, you know, uh, that was when I started to, kind of redeveloped this new process of working in sculpture that I have now become pretty entrenched in that I, um, and that wasn't something I was doing before New York, before, uh, before I left from New York, there was this kind of like whole world of, you know, that, you know, the weird, the weird studies podcast and this whole, um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah, this whole, um, world exploring like concepts and post-materialism and just the, uh, I don't know what that is. What's post-materialism? Oh, uh, that's uh, that, uh, kind of a shorthand for this idea of not... I, I think it's like in the, 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 sort of the, the domain of discourse that, you know, weird studies belongs within um, kind of looking at claims of... I, uh, man, post-materialism. Um, like a strictly empirical view of the world? Yeah, this kind of that would like, be a great way of putting it. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, it's in. This is where we met, right? Is, yeah. Uh, weird stuff. And I mean, I don't know of any other. I I guess I haven't been looking. But are there things that are similar to weird studies that you found? Um, to me, I mean, you know, 
podcast became such a source of like community and like and you know intellectual stimulation over the covid i have to, yeah i did pick up well i was exposed to other authors like um there a lot of my work has been influenced by um you know uh, podcasters like uh connor habib um mm-hmm. yeah. and are, are you familiar with them yeah 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 he's great i think the uh Actually, honestly, it's via Duncan Trussell, then Weird Studies, yes. if I can remember. Yeah, yep. yeah, yep. him too. Um, and um, uh, pub, uh, I guess um, the work of Mitch Horowitz, are you familiar with him? He's been a no, big but I'm, I'm just curious as like a way to build out a kind of reference point for people listening. Yeah. You know, I, I hope that anyone who listens to this listens to Weird Studies afterwards. I had JF on here, and I think it's just oh, wow. an important world to get in and take classes. I don't I haven't taken classes recently. Mm. I just don't have the time. Um, yeah. You no, know, it's, yeah, it's great. I was able to um, participate in this AI course and I didn't, I, I wasn't able to really, you know, put myself in the, um, in the chat or the discussion, but um, yeah, it's, yeah, it's really, um, yeah, a, a great source uh, for, uh, intellectual development yeah and yeah that speaks to this kind of primal or a central thing i think we both seek in our art i don't know how to describe it but it's like oblique symbols the things that um signify some kind of distant spiritual clarity but Mm. they're not traditional or historic in a sense i mean for me that comes from a place of uh i just think these symbols are like scattered and lost and it's Mm -hmm. it's almost uh, Mm -hmm. fallacious to pretend i understand Mm -hmm. their roots so you get these kind of mashups that feel and hopefully are meaningful i don't know if that makes Mm -hmm. sense yeah no i mean i think meaningfulness is really the essential drive behind discovering these forms that um you know what what you articulate is very essential to this kind of process where that you know my my own studio practice of finding these forms um in fact i'm intentionally not ever referencing or repurposing um let's say alchemical images i mean i think that they're like I, i think that you know, there's an impulse, there can be an impulse to see, you know, images that come from, you know, Western esotericism, the traditions of Western esotericism and create a kind of novel um, take on them. Like, I think that yeah, exactly, one thing yeah. that comes to mind is, um, you know, repurposing uh, tarot imagery, sure. and, <laughs> I, you know, um, and, you know, and that's great. And I think for me, I think the kind of, um, I, 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 it's not even that I resist. I, I don't even, I, part of it is the discovery of these existed, of these images existing within me. And so I enjoy these images, but I never consciously attempt to reproduce them or reconfigure them in, in a way where they have set meaning. Like, um, is there a, yeah, no, I agree. There's like a trend of, kind of working with occult imagery, uh, yes. tarot being very potent, beautiful source for that. But I suppose this makes me wonder, are there any symbols that scare you or or sets of symbols that scare you in a way that 
you would want to be cautious about uh, bumping up against them or or um, manipulating them? That's a great question. Um, I think that uh, fear does play. Well, I think kind of. Fear does play an important role in my work, I think, but more in the sense of being of the kind, the kind of celestial awe, not, um, I, I try and like move into, I'm trying to incorporate themes of horror where, um, but, hmm, I, I think traditionally, like, you know, snake imagery has become kind of very uh, prevalent in my own practice um, and it's not intentional and I'm aware that uh, with different meditative in, in different meditative practices um, I think the idea of I, I essentially feel protected like I think that um, it's I'm not concerned that uh, I'm going to access anything that can really do me psychological harm if that's if what do you feel protected by? Uh, I think just the, the fact that it's through, uh, that this is an artistic practice, that there's a kind of um, buffer that's, I think this is something JF would agree with, that this, that this is a buffer that, through which to encounter, like, the numinous, that there there is this room for it to be both true and not true at the same time. I think that if you're doing, if you're going through a procedure that's asserting the kind of literalness of, um, or like a certainty and imposing it upon reality, such as like, I don't know, different um, uh, like practices of evocation where you're literally summoning something outside of your control. Yeah, yeah. Like witchcraft. Yeah, I would say so. Um, I mean, I think that this is the kind of essential difference between um, religion and art, you know, in religion, it's kind of outside of this place of, um, uh i think accessing your own creative uh spiritual potential and that like it's saying that it, it's imposing kind of structure and saying uh, like onto how you're um interpreting events around you whereas there's this kind of you know negative capability of you know within art where there's a a, a playfulness in it or you know it you know, it creates room where you can encounter these, um, you know, levels of reality without it overwhelming you, I think. Um, yeah, and, yeah. in defense of that religious frame, I think it's because it's top-down, exactly. uh, not, not bottom-up. So, like, it couldn't assert its, its omnipresent power and meaning without there being some cause for fear or concern about mm. meddling. Mm. And then the, the mm. artist is uh, often... I actually believe most artists suffer from mental issues because they often end up in a place where they think they are God mm. or they say are gods. And this is um, outside of the art practice. This has horrible implications, but it's an understandable conflation because you feel that you're, you are creating and that you're ultimately for me, I recognize I'm a reflection of something, not the source of something. And that, that changed my whole well, my whole being as an artist, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, no, definitely. No, I, that, no, I think there's a, there's a lot of humility that needs to take place. I mean, that, that needs to be in place. Um, yeah, especially if your practice is really, um, focused on 
kind of exploring the extent to which spiritual realities do have a kind of claim on, do have a degree of reality claim. I think that uh, what you're saying about megalomania that develops in artists, I mean, part of um, what I think was really difficult for me to deal with over a pandemic is, I mean, first of all, I mean, art is an inherently social thing. This is something that, um, you know, not like having it be seen, not just having it be seen, but also being in active dialogue with other humans about your work has been an incredibly, um, had a really ameliorative effect on the kind of, um, you know, it's, it's the kind of thing that drives like my work. So I think that there's this hermetic kind of quality to my work that became a little overwhelming. It like working in isolation over the pandemic. And it's been greatly like alleviated by interaction, like in-person interaction with other artists. And frankly, I could have done more of it in terms of like having zoom, like, um, studio visits. Um, but, um, going back to what, I mean, this, this response isn't, this is in response to you talking about, you know, this kind of sense of being of, of omnipotence that a kind of like artist, and that's, I think that's like a very out of touch kind of place and ungrounded place to be. And I mean, you know, for my, like to speak about my work, I mean, you know, I came to the same conclusion that it's not necessarily, in fact, this is exactly what my practice is kind of exploring the fact that it's not me, but that it's, you know, something going through me that I'm a kind of channel for that. And that I think that that's why I'm not really interested in trying to replicate images from, you know, that I've seen before, because that's a very conscious, you know, act on my part that, you know, Alfred is thinking like, oh, well, th this, you know, I mean, there's also potential for that. I mean, it's a way of filtering in new, um, a, a new vocabulary. I mean, I think there's a lot of value to that as well. Does it matter to you what comes like, Let's say you were hypothetically yeah. channeling something. Right. Does it does it matter what that thing is? I mean, because I look back at my work it in does. my twenties, has it has a different energy, and but I was yeah. a different person, and I was thinking about different things, and uh, there was a darker. I don't know. Like I, um, I wonder now what I was channeling because I used to have a very naive kind hmm. of bl blanket. Uh, way of viewing the muse the muse mm. sim simply as inspiration but now i have more of like some strange cosmic uh, battle type view of mm. spirits and and i wonder now what exactly i was channeling and and what it was doing to me and vice versa so there's a sense that now that you're it's more of like a legion instead of engaging with one beneficent entity there, there might be more of um you think you're actually get more, getting more out into um, unknown territory where there's there are more uncertain influences. I think I'm just recognizing the uncertainty, whereas before mm. there was a kind of naivete about. Because yeah. I really, I really do feel like there's artists or someone like Crowley or something that are meddling in shit that's like, like to their own admission, like this is dark stuff, Definitely. and and they're. It would be ridiculous to assert that there's no repercussion to that. And then I think there's artists who are channeling much more beautiful values. And sometimes they radiate that themselves, which is obvious if you if you play with these forces, like it's there's going to be repercussions outside the art, I think.
I completely agree. Yeah. You know, I think going back to this um, question of whether I feel protected or not, I think that, you know, it's because a lot of my, my, my training is rooted more into the, in, the intuitive sense of my own body. This is really where I, you know, first began um, to become accustomed to the, my capacity for non-ordinary experience that, um, you know, my training's in figurative art um, and, you know, this was a way I, you know, this, this consisted of, you know, um, you know, figure modeling classes where, you know, you just draw from life draw from the model. And there's this kind of intuitive mechanism that I developed through the act of, um, this kind of merging with the model, it, like within this safe space. I mean, I think again, you know, there's a kind of th this boundarylessness that I think, you know, many artists are kind of have to contend with in, you know, within their psyche, you know, this has a safe, like this has a safe expression within, you know, the create, the creative act, you know, I found that it had this perfect channel through, um, uh, being able to reach the other, but through like, you know, this kind of apparatus in my own body. And, you know, I found that, you know, I was, constructing a figure through a kind of invisible like uh uh bodily like uh well an embodied practice of you know looking for where the model would be in my own in my own body and that's where my decision making would take place and i wasn't really like aware of what i was actually doing at the time and you know um this is always this has been an extension of my practice where like the figure you know has always been a kind of uh, proxy, like a psychic proxy, or just a uh, it, like an expression of um, an interior self that isn't apparent. You know, that, that feels more true to myself, a more, a more, a more just like essential sense of self. I think, and I think that it's connected to being protected in the sense that it's always sort of started with me. I've never tried to go outside of myself. When I, I, when I feel like I'm going outside of myself, that's when, you know, I think I think it's that I can gauge that it's time to reel um, myself back in. And so if I understand yeah. correctly, you're saying you feel protected enough to express through yourself. Does that yes. make sense? Yeah. Uh, yeah. In, a, in a way that, yeah you wouldn't normally obviously in a given day in social life or at a mundane job. Uh, but yeah, it is exactly. interesting to me that your work seemed to be more concerned with the human form earlier on. And now it's in a sl kind of slithery uh, world <laughs> where there's less, less of the, or there's, there's wings and things, you know, but um, the human form doesn't seem to be as uh, present. You know, it's something I've been considering coming back to because um, I'm sort of at that point where I think I've explored this territory uh, to a satisfactory degree. Well, not that I want to go away from it, but I think it the territory that I have gotten into that you rightly named as slithery and winged uh, is, you know, it's a kind of endpoint of this process of kind of going inwards, but also out, out side of my maybe not outside myself but i think that it kind of brought me out of flow with um this with this uh kind of embodied practice that i really get from the human form i mean i i think that also 
because these works have been in the negative, there's a lot of calculation that has to take place in order to like pull, pull these off. I mean, I need to start putting like, you know, for the listeners and for any potential viewers, you know, all these works are done as negative reliefs. I'm not, I can't actually see the form. And that was one of the reasons why I came to it, that I felt I had too much control over the positive form when I was like sculpting in the round and positive. So what that, you know, that creates a certain amount of conditions in which there's a sort of excess amount of calculation and kind of craft that has to be done into, has to be put into the molds in order to pull them off successfully. Um, but, you know, as far as like with the human form and sculpting and drawing in the, in the positive, I think is um, something I kind of want to go back to. But um, so you like, at a certain point, you like the mediation of the mold, which kind of is a buffer between you and direct intent. Is that correct? Mm. Or there's like a process that sits between it. Well, well the mold itself is the work, you know? Um, well, I noticed in the mold you sent to me, Yeah, um, it really was strange to me in the sense that I saw like a strange frog-like creature in the mold. But when I only saw the negative, I didn't see him at all. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I don't. Do you do you show the mold? That's the one mold I've shown others. I I've and, the, and they've all had the same response. They're like, "Oh, look! You, like you've made a frog." And but um, <laughs> uh, was that intentional or that's a byproduct? Of... Completely unintentional. That's just pareidolia, I think. Um, but I mean, I think it's very. It's very. Um, I appreciate it very much that. Um, you know, it has this kind of, yeah, it, it still does have somewhat of a face, but yeah, it's, it's that kind of like, uh, upside down triangle that registers as a, as a frog face. But I think figuring out how to, yeah, be, I mean, because the piece itself is really the mold. I mean, that's part of what I really kind of gotten out of this practice that there is that at no point is there really a sculpture that I've like, it, it's, I mean, of course I've made it, you know, the, the, it's simply a casting of all of the labor that I put into this mold. And that's, that whole process, it, you know, it's, it's invisible, you know, it's, it, it's not, um, it, it's not in the final like display or it's not yeah, in the yeah. final. Yeah. Um, so yeah, fi figuring out ways to, um, I, I think to present the mold, wondering whether, you know, I think maybe photographing it. I mean, I do like, I do document it, but I don't know. How I like, I like how architectural the mold is. It feels like a, I don't know why it just reminds me of being inside of the ancient city. Yeah. The definitely. Walls and that's, the that's one reason why I took those. That's definitely yeah. one reason why I took those angles. If it's um, uh, Teresa of Avila's uh, uh, interior castle is something that I've, uh, has been like an inspiration to me and kind of like lovingly referred to it as an interior castle. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, so am I mistaken in thinking that you don't cast multiples, right? Well, I don't know. This is a, unique piece which is you know i think you know as a sculptor um it, i in sensibility um i kind of have it 
have difficulty with series. Series are great. I wish I could do more of them. But in terms of like really getting to authentic intensity and fever pitch, I really want, I, I really get out of my practice. I kind of think in terms of, this is just like the genre of like the, the masterpiece. And this is, I'm not, I'm not saying that I'm making masterpieces. I'm saying it's just like the single piece. Um, like, and so that's a roundabout way of, answering yes this this is the original but part of it is that there's it's you can only pull it off in one cast because it's such a fragile mold and so so um, why use them like i'm naive in some ways this i've done plaster molds etc uh on certain projects but why use a process of casting and molding if you're only producing one of something it, that's for display, and should anyone be interested in purchasing it, that's when I do a. That, that's when I can create replicas. I'll do a uh, rubber mold. Oh. I'll okay. do a rubber mold over it. But yeah, in terms of like pulling off the single original, um, there's a lot that could potentially. You only get one shot, really. Do you keep all these yeah. molds? The, no, 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 no. That's part of it. Um, is Are they destroyed in they're the necessarily, process? They're ne- necessarily destroyed in the process. Um, okay. Yeah, they're all water clay as well. Yeah. Interesting. And yeah, when you're speaking about horror, it seems like the work from um, 20... And there does seem to be discernible series, at least from the outside, but I know that often artists <sighs> feel that their, their yeah. work is disjointed, um, largely probably because yeah. they're invested so wholly in the one thing, it's hard for them to see the connections but i do well, find that the, yeah go ahead yeah no, no to say something to that yeah uh especially the recent series of like the um snake bird Im- snake bird imagery um that definitely does belong in a kind of series and i think that the one reason though i think the one thing that keeps it from being a proper series in my mind is that i make one not only do i um focus on one after the other but um there's a kind of there's a learning process in which each one there's a kind of ever increasing level of um, just uh, effort and complexity I'm attempting to uh, put into it. I mean, um, just because I'll notice I I can only each piece grows off of the other. I'm not, I, I think I would probably do better to also work on multiple at once because the one piece that I sent you was just four months of sing of, of just single-minded effort. And I think that uh, after this piece, I, I don't, I, I think that working like that isn't going to be, um, you know, um, an avenue I want to pursue in the future because you, you get, you get, you get perfectionistic about it. If you're only working on one piece, you know, it yeah. didn't probably didn't have to take, take that long because it felt like there was a little too much pressure on it. You know. Yeah, it's like having one child. You kind of oh whoa, are you over? Are you What's that? Are you a dad? I have a stepdaughter. But, oh, okay. uh, I'm not. I don't have my own kids yet. I'm oh, hoping to, but that'd be cool. uh, She is an only child at the moment, but yeah. I just think in general, something you see in modernity is people who have like one or two kids, and and there is a difference. I think it's usually a net negative of like really focusing on this one kid and their potential to be like a genius. Meanwhile, <laughs> if you want a genius, you probably got to make 10 of them and like maybe yeah, you get, uh, you know, this is just, yeah, the, you, you don't get, you don't get, to, yeah, it's again, this egoic 
aspect of the creative mind that like, oh, we're going to make this one kid a genius on sheer willpower. Uh, and this yeah. is not how things work. And I think I definitely relate when I work on um, books. I often have two and then I'm probably doing something commercial at the same time. Mm. And And actually the commercial thing often feeds into that work in a good way because commercial things make me do stuff I don't want to do. Um, and doing what you want to do is a very constraining methodology. Typically. I couldn't agree more. I, yeah, I think when you're doing, when you're forced to do something, you don't necessarily that you, you know, don't want to do it, create it, it, it creates this value on your own time. Yeah. And, and also I'm kind of curious where Coons plays into this, yeah. were you were you casting or were you finishing? Were you? I actually have a friend who's like the head of sculpture for the past decade, I think, over there that oh, I went cool. to art school with. Jaina? No, Tyler. He was a. Uh, oh, Tyler Held. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah, he's awesome. Yeah, he's um, great. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, I mean, yeah, I was in the sanding department there, and. Uh, Standard. Yeah, how does wow. Coons play into it? It was yeah, it was just very monotonous. Well, yeah, it probably builds. Level. It probably builds a lot of work ethic. No, I can imagine oh, that setting. Yeah, I mean, I I have a kind of temperament for the monastic kind of activities as well, and you know, just being hunched over like works, like kind of like just taking out. Just smoothing out uh, the um, automotive paint on the bronzes was, I mean, I derived a lot of like, you know, kind of like private joy out of it. Like it was kind of like a, yeah, it, I mean, you know, I think I, it was a really good channel for this kind of like I, I, uh, work ethic. I think I have, if I don't have that, I kind of, I mean, I didn't really have that over the pandemic and I'm just, um, yeah, that kind of drives me nuts not having that outlet yeah 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 no i'm just curious because obviously you don't produce work in that vein uh that kind of <laughs> no. super polished commercial like pop culture way but uh it's always interesting yeah. to me like how work plays into someone's um art making practice so yeah. you said you're currently working for an artist in new york yeah um uh barry x ball barry x ball that's a wild name. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, great guy. Um, really, yeah, really great studio to be working in. Um, it the work is similar in that it demands, you know, um, a lot of. In fact, there are some Coons people that uh, went there afterwards as well. Um, yeah, after they left Coons, there, you know, it's these are two, like these are two uh, artists that I think do a lot of hires. Um, Actually, from the MFA program I went to, um, New York Academy, there are a lot of New York Academy alums that go between the two um, uh, uh, studios. Nice. Yeah. So this is a good thing, this job. Oh, yeah, it's great. Yeah. And so in the in terms of, like, your careerism, uh, <laughs> what is your sensation in your mid-30s as to where you are, where you thought you'd be? Are you pleased? Are you discontent? Uh, I think being uh, discontent. Mm, 
Are you still I'm ambitious? I'm yeah, trying what's to figure the... it out. Yeah. Um, I'm not where I necessarily want to be, but I, I'm pretty driven to go uh, to get there, to give you a, that. Uh, where, you, of, where would you want to be? What's the benchmark objectively? Is it you can live off your fine art? That'd be great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think to start just finding gallery representation, I mean, I know that, you know, success is just being able to work on your art and, you know, I really value that. Um, and I think that's a benchmark for success. And yeah, I think just having a wider audience and I think that'll come through gallery representation and being able to show regularly, but living off my own work would be great. Yeah. And do you see, do you understand what kind of, people would want your work or what kind of gallery it would show in is there like a clear understanding of where you fit into all this um i no um i, I know it's a difficult I, question i ask because i could i could see i'm usually interested in work that sits in between worlds in yeah. a way and yeah, uh, I, yeah go ahead yeah no i i don't think that i make anything that's i mean i think there are a lot of artists that do have like major gallery representation that don't necessarily make work to be a part of that like to be um custom fitted for a kind of like art world um aesthetic and there are plenty that do and i think that I think it's a matter of just finding the right place. I, there aren't any galleries I know of that would show my work in New York. Um, but I just got back here and I haven't had really any time to kind of like focus on my own, um, career with my own work. I think, you know, it's just been kind of like getting into, like, I've just been focused on getting, on getting focused on this like kind of new routine. Um, yeah, yeah, no, it's understandable. Yeah. And it's, I just view your work as, um, in a sense, torn from an ancient non-existent structure, uh, ornamentation on a kind of, um, yeah, temp kind temple, of temple interior culture. Yeah. Um, I think that part of like another significant part about these, um, molds being, I, when I work on them, they're flat on the table and, you know, it's, it, it kind of echoes this sense of like the, uh, this practice of, um, the unearthing of a kind of lost civilization or, you know, kind of like re retrieving artifacts from actual mud. And it's a kind of like invisible culture, um, mm -hmm. of myself. Yeah. Um, you know, I like that you put it that way because you know, that, that, that bounces off, a, uh, you know, a certain way. It, I think of these and, you know, yeah. And like they are referencing, I mean, they are inspired by like, you know, um, the aesthetic, like aesthetics of antiquity. Um, but there is this ancient, th this sense of the ancient and transhuman that, um, I think I'm looking for. Transhuman, yeah. huh? Um, I'm sorry, transpersonal. I'm okay. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, I don't pick up this. I was going to be very intrigued if there was a transhumanist element there. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, that's cool. But in respect to the um, Slavic studies, mm. did I get that right? Yeah, oh, that's correct. Yeah. Are you, what, where does that come from? Are you Slavic? 
No, um, this is kind of, I mean, if you want to talk past lives, maybe I was Russian at some point. Um, but it, there was, I remember in, I was like in kindergarten, I drew like a hammer and sickle out of nowhere. Um, (laughs) you know, and that's interesting. It, you know, it, it turns out that, you know, Milojovic herself is actually of Serbian descent, but I think that, you know, at the time in high school, like I, there was something okay. Um, I kind of had a crush on her in high school and there was one, one way of like, there's something about, um, that kind of brought me to Russian. I started teaching myself Russian in high school. I I don't know to what end that was, you know, it was just something I was like driven to do. Uh, but, um, yeah. And so you went to college for Slavic studies. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, when I think of a thing that can't get you a job as much as art, degree, an art degree, it's yeah. probably, is that up there? Yeah. Um, well, I, well, I sort of had an experience that took me out of college, um, before I could really, um, channel it into a career. Um, I, I left halfway through and that's when I actually discovered art. Um, oh, so you discovered art later on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how does, how does that happen that late? Uh, well, you know, I played, I always had an outlet through drums. I was, I've been a drummer since the age of 12 and, you know, I played in high school jazz band and also like, you know, bands in college. And, um, that was always a kind of, uh, the, the, the sense of flow that I developed in that practice, I think allowed me to jump into visual art uh, at a, at a later age. Um, and you know, I, I I just transferred the kind of embodied sense of um, artistry that I developed in drums to draw to you know drawing like plastic arts. Um, so I think I was able to kind of like hit the ground running, picking it up later. But uh, so did that? I see you have comics in here. Was that was that some of oh, the earlier? No, that was actually no that that was later. Some um, my friend got me um, the a book on sequential art and you know, th- it does relate so much to, you know, my pro- proclivity towards like language. Like I, you're going to, I think you're going to ask about how Russian fits into everything. I think that, you know, it's just kind of like having an understanding of like the uh, vocabulary, the uh, visual vocabulary as a language in itself. Um, and that kind of, no, no, I don't, yeah. I'm not taking the Russian thing as a deep thread. It's just an interesting, oh, okay. uh, yeah. it's just an interesting place to start academically. And uh, yep. I was just curious how that's present. Oh, uh, well, uh, so I if think... If it still is, yeah. It is. Well, um, I've only been able to really, you know, be an independent tutor with it. I was... Um, yeah, I was a medical interpreter for a little bit as well. Um, so, I mean, now... You know, I have a full time job, and I don't. I, you know, I do like I still do freelance writing, and um, I, I take students when I get them. But I mean, there was a period where, um, yeah, I f- thought that was going to be my trajectory. But I mean, again, I was taken out of call. I mean, I, I guess on this podcast, like I'm usually like much more candid about this type of experience. You know, uh, but um, I it seems kind of relevant to our discussion, but, um, mm-hmm. I had, well, I, 
uh, people have these like experiences when they do um I, well, I did mushrooms, and mm-hmm. that kind of hit a reset button on me. I had kind of, you know, I kind of just had to take a semester off, and um, that was it. Your I first time it. doing it? Yeah, yeah. I've always, uh, I, yeah, no, I've never really done. Yeah, it was just one. It just took once. <laughs> yeah. So is that a yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that a, I've never done mushrooms, uh, but do you view that reset as strictly positive? Um, it was positive. I um in that I think it gave me um it put me in touch with the reality of there being an alternative to a kind of um like the mundane everyday uh mm. i would say without getting into it too much i think the sure. overall experience was pretty positive i just um i had some difficulty integrating and um sure, sure. so i just moved home for like a semester and then came back and that's when i started I was like making yeah i was doing art and um i came back and yeah no, I mean that sounds logical. I mean the part of the problem with the psychedelic experience is integrating it into actual life and uh that is the rub, you know. Yeah. Like, uh, it's only from a pragmatist perspective, it's only as useful as you can apply it to the mundane in a sense. Yeah. Yeah. So that puts you in a place towards art. Is that correct? To kind of push well you were into music, but uh, you know, I think the thing when I was when I was calling it a reset button, I think it just um, I, I think the experience kind of um, I guess showed me that there is something really um, unfulfilled in me, mm-hmm. and really just doing art was kind of a shot in the dark. And then, like, I think I had the thought, like, well, this is something I kind of always wanted to do, or I, well, it wasn't even something I always wanted to do, but I didn't, I hadn't really done it before, and so. I well, I think that's interesting. That's interesting to me. From I can imagine someone listening to this who, well, maybe they do mushrooms. Yeah. They haven't made art before, <laughs> and suddenly they feel this uh, impulse. What did that look like, practically speaking? Did you go back to school for art? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And what did um, you, you go for? Um. Um. Well. To sort of make up for lost time, I actually wound up going to Florence Academy for a little bit. And while I was there, uh, I um, applied to, you know, MFA program. Well, just like wanted to go to New York Academy. And so I applied there. And actually with work I did at like uh, Pennsylvania Academy of Fine Arts when I was at home for that break, I was able to kind of... Great. And like, you know, anyone listening to this who like, uh, who's affiliated with these schools, I'm like, or just like any, anyone else, I'm sorry. Like, I, I hope they don't like, uh, um, you know, I don't know whether they want to be associated with me or not, like with this whole story I'm telling. Um, but no, that's a fine story. It's nothing uh, wrong with it. Yeah. <laughs> um, PFA is very traditional from what I recall. Like a, like very, is. like they very focused on like, their painting program is very refined and traditional. Am I, am I getting that wrong? Am I mixing it up with another Philly school? Apparently it's changed. No, uh, 
no, I mean that. Yeah, Pafa is like the place that you would go for um, traditional figurative art. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I heard. I heard that it's changed a little bit, but yeah, that's. So, yeah, what was your experience of art school as someone who? All right, so like as someone, I like people who draw. Yeah, t- tend to get into this earlier because it's a, something that a young kid can do that can get gratification from peers. So I find that drawers have certain hangups and they have a very specific mm. journey often and it starts young. Um, and that can be very limiting to the kind of conceptual depth their work has because they're, they're kind of fetishizing like this technical component. Um, but I'm just curious, and I'm, I'm saying this because art school can often ruin what I feel are like natural drawers um, mm. because they're kind of used to this playful stage and then they get thrown into academia and it's very uninspiring. But for you coming from your position, did, was art school refreshing? And like, what, what does that feel like? Yeah, I thought that was, yeah, that's a great question. Yeah. Um, for me, I think that uh, for the type of uh, MFA program I was in, um, it's just a two year program and it starts off with classes that I think uh, that a lot of, um, BFAs would have, uh, gone through, you know, just, um, basic, uh, figure drawing classes. And for me, not having had that background, like I thought like it, it, it was perfect for the level of development that I was at, um, you know, to sort of like supplement, you know, gaps in my education, in my education. Um, and, I, I didn't find it oppressive at all. It was exactly what I went for because, you know, with, I, I think the benefit of, um, you know, figurative art is that there's a, that there's like an objective measure of whether you're getting what um, observation correct or not. And, you know, there are a lot of issues to go into like, you know, body representation, but like there's a matrix, there's just a set matrix that you can gauge, you know, your sense of what you're drawing with like something objective, or this is just drawing from life in general, but just like these sort of traditional skills. And I thought that for me, that was extremely useful to kind of get on, sort of get behind what it was I was, you know, uh, what I was actually doing. Um, Oh, I suspect you needed something grounding after an experience like that too. Like uh, life drawings, life drawing is very grounding in many Certainly. ways, although that's never what I was seeking from it. Um, yeah. So unfortunately, I don't think I derived that too much from life drawing, but I still miss the days of of that practice. I think it's well, yeah, very it's interesting. There, you know? Um, it's true. It's true. Yeah, and yeah, that's one part of, yeah, figurative art that's, or life drawing that's bringing me back to it. I mean, it is extremely grounding. I mean, it put, yeah, puts you in connection with, um, yeah, reality in front of you. Um, but so, yeah, what is that after that? Like, I'm trying to map, yeah, this, what is it, a, a little over a decade's time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm kind of uh, curious. I'm always curious about the very mundane and practical progression, uh, of mm. an artist's life because as a listener. Yeah. All the uh, abstract and ephemeral components are very personal. I don't think there's much to talk about in that no. way or much to be learned from it. It's, uh, by definition, something you have to experience and move through. But the kind of practical stuff I find pretty fascinating. Yeah. Um, 
is this with respect to just my technical like technical no no i'm actually genuinely curious like are you working shitty jobs are you immediately working a studio job did you have to yeah what's that look like oh yeah um well um you know i had the good fortune of you know having uh a home that I could go to during the pandemic. So there was a period where I was, um, you know, just kind of taking care of my dad living rent free. Uh, right now, um, I was at Starbucks before, um, I was, you were at um, Starbucks. What was that like? Uh, it was okay. I would have preferred to have been like an artist studio. Um, okay. Fair enough. It was, yeah. It was a customer service job. It was it was a bit draining for me, to be honest. Uh, you know, there's a lot of I, I think being able to work um, in uh, not in solitude, but just be able like I, I think that, like with art art studio jobs or art studio jobs, you can kind of um, you know have like you know moments of like recharging and being able to sort of go within and you know and also like have your coworkers that kind of like bring you out and like there's a kind of nice rhythm that can be developed there so that that wasn't really something that like uh starbucks could give you well Um, yeah the reason I, i don't even ask it from like a i ask it quite seriously in the sense that i think some people like art jobs while they're making art and some people like jobs have nothing to do with art so there's a kind of separation um between these things and you never kind of know where i don't think there's much to be learned at starbucks that's one thing i think of like james rosenquist who painted billboards and that is obviously seen in his work um but yeah, I was Definitely. wondering if there, yeah. I was wondering if there was any wonderful insights from working Starbucks. But it's a fairly uh, mechanical. No, I think that job. well, you know, there's a lot of it's fairly mechanical. But there, I think that there's a lot of buildup that can take place, you know, in that kind of environment that I think would be really useful. Like a lot of frustration. Um, sure, sure. Uh, not that it was entirely negative, but I think that um, you know, if you're, I think artists that don't have a chance to really you know shitty day jobs you know that can create a lot of frustration for anybody but i think that art if you have an art practice that can be be really acute and i think for me if i could go back to the garage and make work after that it would be a really great outlet for a lot of you know pent up um uh you know just just frustration from the day sure yeah and and so you go starbucks and then you said coons after that Mm -mm, no um coons um then i was then i was actually like in a master i actually went back to a master's program to redevelop um my russian skills because i thought i was going to be an interpreter there was that um and then after that um medical interpreting well i I, I wound up did being an interpreter, but uh, I think I wasn't expecting medical interpretation. So I did that, uh, Russian tutoring, um, and then home, but then well, back to Philadelphia, uh, Starbucks, COVID lockdown, okay. um, 
and then back here. Yeah. Do you feel that? No, that all makes sense. I mean, that's actually a pipeline that I think would be recommended for someone looking to kind of enter into fine art, if I'm not mistaken, mm, you know, work, yeah. working in studios, et cetera. Yeah. Um, you know, Russian culture and art is very interesting to me because I, it just seems like a very strange fusion of East and West. And even like, mm -hmm. you know, literally where it's located would imply that. But would you say, obviously you're influenced by the language, but are you influenced by Russian art? There are a lot of really incredible like uh, Russian artists that I've um, looked at, like um, the symbolist Vrubel. Um, How do you spell that? V-R-U-B-E-L. Um, uh, Mikhail Vrubel. Um, oh, wow, yeah. That's... Uh... That that is no. that speaks to something very specific. Yeah. Um honestly there are like what I've been most mostly influenced um by in terms of like Russian artistry are um there's this there are a couple of like absurdist writers from the early twentieth century, um, one of whom is Daniel Harms, who is a former uh, children's book author who um, just wound up writing these just like re really absurd skazki uh, skazki being like little tales um, <laughs> and there's a kind of sensibility there that has always like really resonated with me um, I tried to get like a kind of like playful awkwardness that you know again going back to like figurative art like yeah you, know, you can like, you can only really be expressed in, through that but in terms of like Russian art historic moments like I you know, I've studied like constructivism in early 20th century, like architecture. I, you know, I, I love it. Um, it's, it doesn't, I, I think finding how this comes out in my own practice is some, is still an open question. Um, mm -hmm. but, um, it doesn't like, it doesn't directly affect me like Mark Chagall, like, you know, I love his work. Um, but you do, that's fascinating. I love that yeah. because, Hmm. For whatever reason, in my more immature days, I would kind of, well, I had good reason, I think. Um, one, I, if I'm not mistaken, Chigal was openly, basically like he, like talking about himself, like he sucked and his peers were kind of like, you suck. <laughs> and it was kind of like generally agreed upon that he sucked. Yeah. But um, for me, I I still don't really connect with the paintings. I, in weird moments, I do. I do like what he made. He made like theatrical costumes and some mm -hmm. sets yeah. that I'm like, oh okay. Sometimes all it takes for me is like a medium shift, and then I can see the. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not calling him ge genius. I won't go there. No. But yeah. uh, what do you like about Chagall? Because yeah. you know there is this snobbish tendency to downplay what an ordinary person can access, which I think is very. Mm -hmm toxic but that's because I, I do think most you know like uh people's moms are gonna like Chagall. Ah, that's really funny no i i think that this is gonna sound like i'm backtracking but i think i was bringing him up as a or as an example of of a russian artist that um i know of and that i appreciate i think uh really this kind of like openness with his uh jewish heritage i really mm -hmm. Um, appreciate in his work the kind of um, yeah th yeah theatricality um, 
Well, it is an interesting yeah. thing, and I could just be ignorant to it, but it isn't clear to me like what Jewish visual art would be or mean. But I do know that Chagall is a you would go to that yeah. pretty quickly for that reference point. Are you yeah, Jewish? I, yeah, um, I am. And I think that really that's only come out in like Judaica, um, the kind of like direct expression of one's own um, uh, uh, Jewish heritage. And I think uh, there's this one piece that I did that I think comes closest to trying to express that. And that's this siren piece. Um, it's, I don't know if, if you can see it, but anyway, there, there is a period during the pandemic where like we re where um, my family uh, picked up the tradition of Shabbat again. And this kind of sense of um, the hearth and uh, was, you know, just like a kind of sense of belonging was like established through that kind of like weekly practice. And this siren piece that I have, you know, incorporates like two two candles in it. And it's kind of, amb it's ambiguous in the sense that you don't necessarily know what type of ritual it's referencing, but the kind of like the backstory behind that was this, and, and this is another like attempt to just try and find the gap between, you know, my art practice and my kind of lived experience, because I think when you're looking at my work, it's very, it's, um, it, it seems divorced from, a, from like any, I don't know if it really gives a sense of who I am as a, like who I, who the artist is behind it. But, you know, once again, this idea of like being more of like a channel or like looking at the ideas of like the imaginally, I, a lot of myself, I don't think is necessarily disclosed in, you know, my, sure, sure. my Not work. in a literal sense. Yeah. Yeah. And that was one piece where I came close to doing so, I think. Well, I can see that as a very, it's almost like an altar or a, mm. I don't know what you would say, but it, yeah. it feels it feels very much grounded in that sense where there's like a plane and then those candles sit upon it. There's something very interesting yeah. about a candle that can't be lit. Mm. Um, but yeah, I would say it's an act of aggression to overly exert one's identity in the mundane sense in their work or to completely obliterate it into a neutrality. Um, but I think you can tell something about you from the work, certainly. Mm. Yeah. I think I think there has to be a concerted effort, maybe one for commercial reasons you would completely obfuscate or completely commodify certain aspects of your identity in a kind of ham-fisted way. But uh, it's part yeah. of why I don't really like autobiographical work. I, it's actually the kind of comics I hate the most. Um, Interesting. And in the, in the 90s, that was... Because I that's already autobiographical. Uh, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And... Yeah. Uh, when work is good, it's autobiographical. When it's bad, it's not. But yeah, to to engage in this kind of maybe I'm just kind of like that's not how I connect to people. And is the no, I think no, it's a really no, it's a really important distinction you're making. I mean, as soon as I said that, you know, that I'm not really disclosing. I mean, I am disclosing myself in my work. I think that I, what I was making a distinction between, um, you know, I think that there are artists that can be very like ex they use themselves their their physicality. I mean. I mean, part of what can't be done else, like a lot of my body parts do make it into the piece. Um, what do you mean? Like my fingers. Like I think oh, that's oh, a great oh. thing about this. I process. saw that. I did see some fingers in here. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah. Um, yeah, but in terms of being directly, yeah, explicitly 
um, autobiographical. I think that that's something about it, it is, yeah, it was just something I could never do, but I, I complete, I acknowledge that. Yeah. There is something about myself. I'm saying, you know, in my practice. Oh yeah. I mean, you, you I think it, again, it's hard to remember when you're inside of it, but there's an <laughs> infinite amount of choices one can make. And at the end of the day, um, mm. when you step back, you're usually making like literally three decisions in a, in a, in a weird sense, you know, like, Oh, I'm working with this medium. I have this said this vernacular, which is very limited. And, and I basically, I think editing is an important part of it too. So I edit these things in and out, but uh, I don't, there's probably more variables, but I just think, um, again, when you're engrossed yeah. in the process, yeah. it's hard, it's hard to know, but then, and then you step back and it's uh it's so restrained it's almost like you, like the like you don't want to face the restraint of the process or the limits of one's own are you talking ab ability are, are we to make talking about in general or yes oh. yes yes yeah, any yeah. Okay. any artist i think is like uh, far more restrained than they they think <laughs> you're really yeah you're really speaking to something um that's been I, okay so you're saying yeah working into your own process it it restraint you hit a place of restraint yeah i just or maybe constraint in the sense of uh it's part of the horrifying mm -hmm. thing is like you look at the first you look at filmmakers and the first film they make is is the rosetta stone to their entire life and then they're just refining mm -hmm. yeah yeah thing. i complete this is yeah this is something i really resonate i mean yeah i have this belief that you know, like a lot of artists, you know, they'll have their, it's basically working on, you know, one intuition and, you know, just, I mean, I, I feel myself to be, to have like had one, um, I think I'm working on just kind of one idea in different, um, iterations. Definitely. But it's not a literal idea that could be stated in a sentence, correct? Mm -mm, no, no. I, and I you wouldn't you wouldn't even want to try probably it revolves it revolves i mean I, it's sort of been this whole it's been like sprinkled throughout the conversation but really it's just about this kind of insight into my own into just insight into being embodied and you know just something about how that facilitates a kind of uh the, the kind of practice that i've come to um so the body yeah. is yeah the body the seems body. to be a yeah I mean, I suspect that also mold making, I always found it weird how we are like just basically made of a mold, like in the sense of like, you, there's like a dividing line. Yeah. Sometimes you see it in people. Oh, like you down mean there. human bodies are a mold? Yeah. Yeah. Like they're just like, I don't know, you could make it in a mold pretty easily. And they're, and, and they do, yeah, lots of life casts. Yeah. Split down the middle. So there's something very, uh, I don't know. Not human, because I think all things somehow embody this weird symmetry, which I see in your older work too. Even the comics seem to be seeking this um, this Just symmetry. Balancing out. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I think David Altmead. Um, you know, he's a sculptor I've spoken with, and he'll say that there's something about that symmetry is something that implies the sacred, and in terms of finding like a balance um there are um to kind of to 
in terms of being embodied, um, the symmetry itself is a grounding um, uh, principle, I think. Um, but yeah, as far as what I first thought of um, when, when you when you went into this idea of the human body as a mold, you know, I was thinking about how as humans were kind of enveloped by our conditions, and that it's not that it's outside. You know, the question of like in outside and inside is something mm -hmm. that I think a lot about with my own practice um, and in general. Um, when you're just you know thinking about you know the nature of consciousness and how. Um, you know, there's something, you know, like Connor Abib would say about us being like addresses for, um, you know, uh, for a legion of forces um, that constitute hmm. our, uh, you know, our, our embodied selves. And yeah, in terms of us being molds, I see us as like enveloped by these forces that, you know, we, we aren't, this is something that I think, uh, you know, lockdown really drove home that like we are not like meant to be uh, isolated. <laughs> like we are not. Um, no, you know, we're we're composed of more than ourselves. Well, yeah, than what I we mean, think ourselves to be. Yeah, again, only a deeply, only a, a period of time like completely hypnotized by empiricism and materialism would think otherwise. It's such an obvious truth. Yes, um, the yeah. art the artist might seek it out of comfort that they could live hermetically or divorced from human relationships. But ultimately, again, I think this is a part of the, the artist's suffering that I don't think was always present, but it is now is this kind of, um, well, it's a horror yeah. to, to be, uh, and I suppose your work probably is getting at this, the kind of horror of that encapsulation or embodiment, but, uh, the horror of having a body. Yeah. If you feel that way, I mean, there's some pretty fun things about it, but I do think it's a, <laughs> I think most traditions, uh, even in Christianity, it's mm -hmm. like you must die in the flesh. Not that it's like, mm -hmm. uh, it's weird. It's a weird relationship because it also is the, the vessel, it's the temple. So mm -hmm. the body is just a yeah. very strange, loaded topic. Yeah. it is yeah representation um yeah i'm thinking about at what point you know there's this kind of myth of the isolated artist and what you know what conditions that emerged from because it's this idea of art as an actual commodity or practice because you know until like the 20 until you know recent times the activity of art wasn't actually art and there's actually this really great book i wanted to recommend to you um it's called metamorphosis of the gods um and it's this great art history book that speaks to this topic of how you know um a lot of the you know we're, we're talking about antiquity and um you know uh inspiration from Archa like from archaic uh, forms that, you know, at the time that those were being made, it was being made in conditions that weren't our own, where the, there's this idea of like the, um, you know, the isolated genius and, and like, you know, sequestered away, like, you know, creating, you know, masterpieces, yeah, yeah. you know, it's, um, yeah, it, it was a much more communal activity. It was a way of engaging 
with others, which I think it still can be. I mean, um, I mean, and, and, you know, it ought to be, it's, you know, how to connect with others through a really authentic part of yourself. And, you know, that's definitely, I think like I, there, there are artists like, you know, Henry Darger who, you know, I admire, but cannot, that I could never be that never needed their work to be seen by others. And I think that, um, there was a period where I was kind of conflicted about, um, wanting to have my work be seen, but, um, now I fully embrace it. And I think it's, um, it's, you know, I think, I think it's a healthy, um, desire to acknowledge and to have. So um, I would agree. The caveat being, at least in my perspective, make sure you only care about the opinions of people you respect. Oh, I, I completely agree. I think that, um, yeah. And in addition to that, uh, you know, I would say, I think that I'm also comfortable admitting this because I don't think that I'm influenced by the algorithm. Um, I, I, <laughs> I, 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 I am, but I don't feel pressured to make work that would get more, um, views or, you know, be more, um, digestible to I, I i like i think that i i know enough about myself to know that i i'm, I'm not i I've, i'm a little i'm strong-headed enough about my um what i want my practice to be to know that you know what i want and don't want from it and um yeah yeah absolutely yeah. I, I think that i'd only make that clarification for a younger generation that <laughs> yeah might, you know i keep might, forgetting uh, we're on a podcast this is like this is yeah no it's super important. Yeah. Well, we are when we aren't, but uh, I just think speaking for our listenership. Yeah. It's um, it's pretty complicated to figure out when you're younger, mm-hmm. and sometimes mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. simply yeah. seek attention, and simply seeking attention at all costs is a very dangerous process and so then you yes. try to sort out yes. like well by what i also like talk about this concept of the dead people who are watching you and mm. and imagining who that you know they're in like the upper balcony and they're just looking down on you and when yeah. you make work they're judging you and you're holding them yourself to those standards oh oh you're et talking, cetera. talking about yeah the the shoulders you're standing on is that yeah i would i would say mm. uh Definitely. People should be a lot more respectful and and I would say uh, transparent about those shoulders in a sense of uh, reverence and respect Definitely. and, you know, just like approximating. I don't I, mean, I don't want to get like formulaic about it, but in some ways I feel like I can approximate the judgment of these people I revere who are dead. Mm. Um, and that's useful. But also I have actual peers that are living and human and need to be accessed as well for any sense of reality. And this is, uh, I don't know, this gets you through periods when you're not going to be relevant or trendy because you're unsexy or you believe things that aren't particularly commodifiable at the moment, et cetera, you know? So essentially, yeah, you're talking about not building your foundations on, you know, everything is, you know, um, everything passes, but, you know, be certain of, you know, building your foundations on, you know, on steady values that, um, aren't, um, 
you know, uh, based on the whims of the kind of like public opinion. Um, yeah, to use, I don't know if you know Bishop Fulton Sheen, he's like this Christian mm. dude of the past, but Mm-mm. he's just like mm. so theatrical and he has this very interesting quote, whoever marries the spirit of this age will find himself a widower in the next. And I find that uh, he's obviously speaking from the Christian perspective, but I think that's also true of the aesthetic yeah. uh from an, the aesthetic integrity perspective that if you kind of keep twirling around trying to find the trend instead of just mm-hmm. digging that hole for 60 years and maybe you become relevant, mm-hmm. I, yeah. I think you won't even come close to making work that lasts. Mm-hmm. It's this, yeah, it's this um, kind of, yeah, this wisdom of, you know, how, this kind of ethical dimension of art that, you know, how you compose yourself in the studio, you know, it, it has this through line to, you know, composing yourself in life in the sense that, you know, when you try and please everybody, you wind up pleasing nobody. Um, and yeah, I think that that's, you know, it, it, that, that's a reflection of that. Um, Yeah. Nobody, I, I suppose, including oneself. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Or the gods Most or whatever, so. whatever the, you do a disservice yeah. to everyone. And that's where it gets mm-hmm. like, that yeah. sounds like uh, a cult, a call to isolation in a certain sense, not in a physical sense. And it is, mm. I think ultimately it's a lonely path spiritually. I guess all, mm-hmm. I believe mm-hmm. all spiritual paths are lonely, but that mm-hmm. does not mean a kind of uh, well mis- misanthropist view. I mean that in the sense no. of. Well, uh, yeah, I don't know if you can articulate it better than I. No, but I mean, that that's the kind of paradox of having this kind, uh, a kind of um, a studio practice, which necessitates isolation. I mean, there, I mean, besides shouldering the financial burden of having a studio, having a studio mate also um, functions as a kind of lifeline to, you know, humanity while you're kind of traversing. This is why um, one really effective practice has been, and one thing I actually kind of like missed from being in New York is drawing on the subway trains because it was this perfect counterpoint of movement and being, you know, being, you know, being able to inhabit this interior space, but, but still being in the company of others and being able to actually draw from them. Um, that was a really essential part of like developing in my own drawing practice. But, um, there's also something interesting about New York in the sense of like uh, you're simultaneously seen and irrelevant or inv- invisible. There's mm-hmm. this weird uh, again. It's a critical kind of a mass of people. This is something. Yeah, yeah. You reach a critical mass at one point where you become, you know, like psychosomatically anonymous. Like that, you know, ev- you know, everyone's so, you know, like daily life here is much you know much more taxing and there are just so many more people and there's a kind of transience to it that um you know uh you could you can remain as anonymous as you want to be but without necessarily feeling isolated i think um and this is just like from the perspective of just you know carrying on like like a creative practice like having a kind of remove where you can have a kind of like uh it like 
I, I found that it could keep my inner experience more intact. Um, hmm. It reinforced that. So, I mean, finding a place that is that has that meets your sense of need as an artist in the world, just just by the general like culture and overall composition, I think is very important. I the I. I don't know if I could make art the same in Philadelphia um, or, you know, I've had so much experience in this city that of, of like at a point when I was like very entrenched in my own practice that um, it's almost like, a, you know, a, Pav a Pavlovian association that um, the kind of drive I had while I was here in my twenties, like it's sort of waiting here. Whereas like, I think, you know, I had much more of, I was thrown back into my original family life, you know, in my, in the, in my hometown. Um, and there's a completely different, um, uh, genius Loki of the, of the city. There's a kind of, if you want to talk, you know, if you want to talk about like the spirit of place, um, that, you know, the two are very, have a very, have two very different feels. Um, I got off a little bit, Though when we were talking about um, uh, like isol like isolation and still making work, I think that you know it. it the paradox is that um, a degree of isolation is necessary in order to create work. I think that this is where you know, um, fam, family and friends are, you know, are essential lifelines. But, um, I was, there was a period where I was having a real difficulty with, um, you know, working on my own and someone, and, you know, in terms of spiritual development as well, um, you know, I saw, I saw this as threatening to my own sense of self-development and spiritual development. And, um, what was threatening um, the degree, d just the, I think the loneliness of, oh, sure. Uh, and the salt of this, this sort of solitary practice that I've had. Um, and someone, you know, I brought this to someone whose counsel I really trusted. And, um, he said that, you know, that we may not, and this, this was in respect to like the spiritual the dimension of my work, how it's a, like an explicitly spiritual practice or it's not explicitly spiritual practice, but the degree of which, you know, it, it is, I would say, I, I would call it that. Um, I mean, it's just closely, I think I do what I can to make it closely tied to my own, to my own spiritual development as a person, not just an artist. And when the two are at odds, I think that it's 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 something that's that makes it very difficult to to um complete work and it was in this case that i felt that the, the degree to which that i felt isolated from others um it made me it put me through this period of questioning whether or not this is a practice this is something i really can do because i think that you know, real spiritual, like actual, I think actual development, like spiritual development can only be tested with how much of a better person it makes you. And if you're not, if you're 
constantly um, removing yourself from the conditions where that can be seen, whereas, which would be, you know, just among others, um, you know, there, there is, well, before I got this job, there is, are you familiar with Camp Hill School? No. Um, it's, it's just like an outgrowth of, um, uh, anthroposophical, um, philosophy. Yeah. Rudolf Steiner. Is it Steiner related? It's yeah, it's a Steiner school. I mean, it's okay. not, a, not 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 like Waldorf schools are, but um, it's for um, adolescents with special needs, and mm-hmm. yeah, and there was a period where, bef- actually, before I got this job, I was think I was applying to one. Um, I think that I was a little late, but it was in, in terms of how of how much uh, spiritual development became, you know, a relevant um, focus of mine that it was something that I, it's not that I considered giving up art for or my current practice, but um, this is a roundabout way of coming back to this idea of like isolation and um, having, uh, or no, not not isolation, but just uh, studio practice. Um, but well, I, yeah. I see it as a analysis of the problem of the isolated studio practice, which is inevitable in what I experienced when I was making comics only, and yeah. that I decided I had to step away from for a, a long period of life mm. to actually become a human. But mm-hmm. I also yeah. in that I yeah. also in that period stopped conflating making art with spiritual practice, which is mm. complicated. But I just thought I was being convenient yeah. ultimately. Um, and decided, oh, I actually need like a literal practice of either the re- religious or spiritual nature. And then there's art making and then there's life and there's all these things that you have to yeah. balance in modernity in a sometimes inconvenient way that uh, mm-hmm. is hard yeah. to face. But yes, you have to keep eating right and, and being kind and good to people and having a spiritual practice and also make the art. And this is uh, this is inconvenient. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah. you know, I always try to remind people, like, the level of production most artists have today, I think, is much higher um, mm. and frenzied and, and distracted than than the past, only because we're afforded the time to to do so. And which I, I think in the past, a lot of people, people had a lot of real shit to deal with, in the, at least in the 20th century. And you'll look at their life and it's riddled with disease and war and like they made paintings when they could within those those moments. And uh I think that yeah. should that should give people a little bit of a yeah, respite, you know? Yeah, yeah. And yeah, the conditions that were yeah, you didn't have content creators then. That definitely was not something that was yeah. No. <laughs> um Yeah, in, in terms of experiencing, yeah, real hardship. Um, well, I mean, God, like, I mean, if you're talking about hardship, I mean, there's plenty of hardship now, but... Um, sure, it's just the amount of time, I think, uh, to produce art is... I think it's increased, surely. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And it's also been easier to make work quicker, um, which is is different. You know, maybe What's, not for um, you. Yeah, yeah go ahead. 
No, it's uh, technological advancements. I mean, are you, yeah. Have you found using computer programs um, satisfying to your uh, to your ends? Damn, that that's very complex for me. Because um, ultimately, I like multiples. I like the and the end product is a comic or a print, and it kind of became inevitable that I engage more with. Um, drawing on a tablet but, yeah but ai has made me oh, kind yeah. of uh, project into the future That's in this way where i want to be able to show my grandkids like a <laughs> pile of paper to prove that i actually did things by hand because i think um even today i find and it's depressing in some sense i find myself questioning if someone actually yeah. made the drawing and uh, the only, yeah it's a kind of disgusting feeling but the only and I value that, you know, I value all this to say I, I'm working more and more on, on just paper again, just to be like, no, like actually, you know, I just drew that. Yeah. And the magic of looking at someone's hand and drawing on paper, yeah. I just think, I think the digital question is very complicated. I also run a fabrication company with my friend and that's, you know, we use a CNC. We use, I use Adobe Illustrator. Um, I'm not extreme about the stance, but I do think mm. what is sacred must be kept sacred and what isn't can always be kind of modified from a tool perspective, but we have to be very careful in the next, well, moving forward, basically. Yeah. 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 Um, preserving the analog. Yeah. Um, with this, um, do you feel that so there's a period where you did feel this kind of um pull towards um not what is it, it wasn't like a sense of like it, this pull towards like the um like the increasing um velocity at which you can pro you need to produce work but you're now going back to the pen like oh, pen oh. paper yeah yeah i mean i still like I value efficiency. I'm a, I'm a pretty practical person and I do a yeah. lot of different jobs and I like to see the fruits of my labor. And I also like fear death in a way that is, <laughs> I think, somewhat healthy. And um, I, I'm i like very interested mm -hmm. in ide ideas and composition. And, the, mm. and, and so for me, getting it on paper, getting <laughs> the idea out is, is very important. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. it's more more of like a psychological yeah. detritus than it is a um, a yeah. a dance with the process. Like, yeah, uh, digital drawing allows you to seamlessly kind of spill an idea out with no mm -hmm. friction. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. 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 The tablet's a frictionless space. Yeah. But there is friction. There is merit to friction in the process, like you're saying with the mold. Mm -hmm. um, but for me, yeah, I'm often. I'm trying to, and again, ideas are not like, oh, I want to make an iPhone, but ideas, uh, in a sense, the poetic, poetic concepts, I'm trying to get yeah. them out and out and out and out and out as much as I can often. So there is this appeal to the digital. It's just the question is, can, do the ends justify the means or do the <laughs> means justify the ends? I mean, um, do you, yeah. do you... I think there's like some element that zeros and ones 
it matters. It matters how you, even if you think you're just drawing I on a tablet. Say, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, no. I wanted to say, I mean, you're you're talking about like the message that you're um, conveying through your work, and just by just simply by having um, a hand drawn um, work, I mean, you know, that's conveying your value that it matters that this is done by hand that um it can still remain relevant you know you know and despite this kind of like ubiquity and like um this presence of just um you know endless content i i you know i really this i i i hate that word content like what it's become how it's become this kind of blanket term for you know um yeah like or like anything that would like take the place of like, you know, art and, um, you know, the value, you know, recognizing the value in, of still making something by hand, like that, that's a statement about it. That's a statement about, you know, a very, uh, an essential value. Um, well, I think content is great in the sense that it conveys the emptiness of the pursuit, um, because it's stripped of everything else. It's just, yeah, the, yeah. it's just a little thing in the middle, the content. Mm. I, I, I find it appropriate as a descriptor of what is produced. Mm. Um, but no, I completely understand the frustration with, with the pursuit and et cetera. Uh, of course this ties into attention span of viewers and, and how they process and, and digest mm -hmm. art. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, but this is a quite quite complex uh, idea, and I must eat uh, <laughs> real food <laughs> as uh, this is necessary, as we were saying. Yeah, <laughs> having a body, yeah, requires. Yeah, food. I have a body. Yeah, maintenance, maintenance. Yeah. This, despite being a disembodied <laughs> voice, I have to do all those things. Yeah, uh, but. Very good talking to you. We should hang out yeah. one day. This has been great, Mike. Yeah, thanks a lot. I really appreciate the conversation. Music by Dory Bavarsky and Mingja Chen. Next up, we have Jesse Moynihan. Enjoy your week. Alfred, Rosa, Alfred, 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 Rosa, Alfred.